0: Efficiency Services Group partners with publicly owned electric utilities to deliver energy efficiency programs and services. ESG serves as an extension
1: of energy services staff, bringing a wealth of skills and experience to provide direct install programs, customer care kits, field auditing and inspections, utility staff training, and reporting for Bonneville Power Administration customers and California utilities. Learn more about how ESG can benefit your energy efficiency organization at EfficiencyServicesGroup.com. That's EfficiencyServicesGroup.com.
0: Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow.
1: Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with Newsday's Clearing Up. With me is my co-host and editor of Newsday's California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney. We're here with some of our top uh, top stories that we've been reporting lately. Uh, but first, Jason, how are you doing today?
0: Great, right, Dan. I just uh, got back from San Diego on Friday. I was down there covering the CalCCA annual meeting. Had a good time. Lots of fun.
1: For our listeners who aren't familiar with that acronym, uh, what does that stand for?
0: That's the California Community Choice Association, which is the association for all the the CCAs or community choice aggregators in California. I think around 600 people. We're down at the uh, San Diego waterfront and uh, covered lots of panel discussions. I'll be writing that stuff all up this week. Yeah, these are
1: uh, just, not to hold us up for too long, but I I Mm -hmm. find CCAs really interesting. I was just saying to you, before we hit record, that's something that I haven't had much reason to learn about, you know, since I don't cover Kaiso, but I'm really curious to learn mm-hmm. more about them because they just seem so indicative of how the inter- industry is fundamentally changing, uh, you know, not just in terms of like renewables and batteries and that kind of thing, but mm-hmm. just how we uh, buy and consume power. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I'm curious, are they? Their, their structure in your analysis or um, are they something that's kind of going to be just uh, limited to Kaiso or do you think they could spread beyond Kaiso one day if the you know, regulatory environment changes in other organized markets
0: I think it could um, of course limited to California I oh, have seen a massive migration of IOU customers to CCAs and they're all growing. They're getting to more areas, including the more rural areas, you know? Um, so yeah. And I, I think I've heard some discussion over in Arizona of similar things, you know, it's yeah, awesome.
1: they, they were the legislature had to cre- give them the authority right to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it would require a, a deliberate act yeah, and political support.
0: Of some type but uh really remaking the landscape in california for sure with and you know a lot of uh, green energy options and seen as a way to put you know more local control over energy supply and it's it's working really well it's not perfect you know there are many different ccas many different issues that they are facing supply chain a lot of the things that the ious are also facing but um it's sort of Disaggregated, you know, something Michael Picker at the PUC used to talk about is disaggregated energy planning a great deal, which does create some nervousness on the part of, you know, uh, procurement, reliability, et cetera. Yeah.
1: So really quickly, uh, is that the primary concern or criticism with CCAs or are there other uh, criticisms or concerns?
0: Yeah, that's that's what I've heard the most. You know and then there's there's always some pushback of you know accusations for protecting the old way of doing things the iou structure but yeah it's um that's what uh picker used to talk about quite a bit and uh so far so good but um you know i think some some validity to that to that argument sure yeah
1: all right well was there you know just before we get into our, our uh the news that we have this week, was mm-hmm. anything interesting come out of the conference?
0: Yeah. Uh, there was some good panel discussions, you know, the there's a focus on equity and equality, which it turns out are different things. I won't try and explain it right now, but there was a gentleman named Eddie price, who is sort of a community advocate for um, uh, he, he, we call them disadvantaged communities he said, please stop using that term, call them communities of concern. Uh he talked about uh a lot about these, you know, the racial kind of uh what what do you want to call it? The you know uh what what he's basically saying is lower income communities, they don't really care about climate change and how to spread that message. And he had some interesting things to say. I'll be writing that up for this week's issue. Yeah. All right. Well, looking forward to it. Uh, and uh
1: this week what do you what do you have for us
0: all right well i'll be talking about the 2023 summer reliability assessment from the north american electric reliability corporation or NERC which has got a lot of attention in the public discussion last week um and then i will be talking about the regionalization bill that died last week um coverage from Steve Ernst, but it turns out there may still be a way for this to go through. And then finally, I'll talk about Kaiso and the EIM uh, boards approving the uh, day ahead market enhancements for Kaiso. Pretty big deal. What do you have going and, on? yeah
1: those are some uh, great stories uh so i'll be talking about the northwest power and conservation council trying to develop new resource adequacy majors measures mm-hmm. metrics uh a developer who's wants to pair storage with offshore wind with pumped storage in oregon and last a uh little update on um snake river lower snake river uh hydro generation Yeah. uh, Speaking of resource adequacy, I I want to Mm -hmm. remind readers that there's still time to register for our upcoming Western Resource Adequacy webinar. It's a two-day online webinar, June 22nd to 23rd. This, of course, uh, as I'm sure our listeners well know, is an issue of increasing importance of as we decarbonize and uh, transition, uh, electrify and, and decarbonize, how do we How does the industry make sure that there is enough reliable, consistent generation to meet demand day in and day out, especially during ramping periods and peak periods? Uh, And, you know, the seasonal changes in in measuring and addressing resource adequacy, you know, like there's a lot more solar generation in the as you go further north, there's a lot more solar generation in uh, summer hours than winter hours. So. you know, the resource mix becomes different uh, for the capacity factors of uh, resource mix becomes different. That means, uh, you know, having to have different uh, uh, ways to solve this and address resource adequacy, make sure you can keep the lights on day in and day out. And, uh, you know, it's not like we've got, there's a a diminishing amount of uh, thermal resources, coal and natural gas that you could just turn them on and you you knew what kind of knew reliably, what demand was going to be and and you knew how much generation you had and it was much more straightforward and it oh, yes. is more and more of a challenge. So um, yeah, go check it out. Uh, you can find more information about the conference on newsdata.com Conf and I'll be hosting one of the panels. We've got some great guests, uh, you know, former, Bonneville Power Administration head Randy Olson or Randy Hardy uh Ar- Arnie Olson one of the leading uh energy economists in the West um yep hey, you're gonna have to help me with the pronunciation or correct me here uh Cliff Rexhaven is that right I can never uh, remember
0: Rex I think, Rek, I think yes. uh,
1: Hopefully,
0: I are saying uh correctly.
1: yeah <laughs> uh former California public utilities commission commissioner and uh, advisor to the former governor Gary Brown uh you know some people from Western power pool uh in the Western resource adequacy program so yeah just some uh great lineup here and uh awesome. no, I should I would be remiss to not uh, to not mention also another BPA former administrator Steve Wright
0: wow those yeah. are there's some
1: uh big names there in the western yeah. energy Center. yeah as well as like top officials from you know pacific core and uh arizona public uh oh, shoot APS the S stand for uh arizona public, arizona public service committee company yes. yeah some some of the biggest players uh in in the west so definitely go check it out it's gonna great lineup i'm really looking forward to it
0: yeah, yeah. me too I'll be tuning in yeah looking forward to that and
1: like i said i'll be i'll be moderating the panel of course this is one of those things where i i never as a reporter i never want to be the smartest or best informed person in the room i always want to mm-hmm. be able to learn from others yeah. um you know uh and so this i'm really excited to participate in this uh Good.
0: And, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Be one of those occasions for sure yeah nice uh okay so yeah uh why don't you so what's going on with NERC all right well NERC came out with its 2023 summer reliability assessment two-thirds of the country at elevated risk of reliability problems and this is really if we get super hot uh, weather this summer which is a fair bet but uh, here's a quote the western interconnection is experiencing heightened reliability risks heading into the summer of 2023 due to increased supply side shortages, along with the ongoing drought impacts in some areas, continued wildfire threats, and expanding heatwave events. Of course, what we saw last Labor Day weekend was that westwide heatwave that really puts the hammer to the system. Um, But we looked at the, uh, the WEC, Western Electricity Coordinating Council, California, Mexico region, And that's an area encompassing 1.8 million square miles and 82 million electricity customers. This region shows adequate reserve margins under expected conditions at the peak hour. But the report also notes that variable energy supply, which would be solar, creates a reliance on energy imports, but imports are shrinking and they can be affected by wildfires. For instance, uh, threatening transmission lines as has happened in the past also took a look at the southwest and northwest regions also have sufficient resources to support the grid in the peak hour but again energy variability there will require increased use of imports compounding that risk is the fact that wildfires can disrupt transmission lines as i just said but there's more than two gigawatts of energy storage on track to be installed in the west which will help manage that uh, variability so yeah uh This this got a lot of attention because you know it's it also mentioned uh, you know um, Midwest uh, the uh, South to Power Pool MISO Ontario ERCOT all at elevated risk as we see these generation retirements and more variable resources and extreme weather so kind of concerning we'll see how this summer goes but uh,
1: yeah I mean it just feels like going into every summer there's just increasing concern and it's kind of like, all right, are, are we going to dodge another bullet mm-hmm. or are we going yeah. to uh, <laughs> find ourselves in a really nasty position?
0: Yeah. And you know, one question I have, if, if California and Mexico need imports, the Northwest needs imports and the Southwest needs imports, where are the imports uh, coming from? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> uh, um,
1: mean, that's, that's, yeah, goes to the <laughs> not just only reliability, but one of the issues driving resource adequacy, uh, you know, really revisiting that the assumptions is the market just, there's not what it used to be. And you can't no. really uh, rely on it and just take it for granted the way utilities
0: used to. Yeah. Especially on the import issue, which Kaiser has been warning for several years on that one, shrinking, you know, as you get more renewables in other areas, less available for import of course we did have a strong hydro season so that will help indeed i, I imagine yeah but uh find well, that you
1: know it's these kind of concerns are are what are, are a big part of this assessment uh reassessment of resource adequacy metrics which is mm-hmm. going on around the country but especially in the northwest uh so we've got the Northwest Power and Conservation Council up here is developing some new metrics to use uh the the council is it was created by the public out uh, of the public power act in 1980 as uh sort of this related entity but independent uh related though to bonneville power administration and it's really the only industry um entity that does regional planning and studies of the northwest power grid Hmm. They come out with a really in-depth power plan every oh, six years, five or six years, six years, I think. I'll have to double check that, but every few years, and hmm. they do an annual assessment of resource adequacy, uh, and so they've been, their council staff's recommending that the, the council uh, adopt new resource adequacy metrics, and so the hmm. standard it has been traditionally for the industry the loss of load probability uh the kind of uh, percentage of what likelihood is that there'll be a load shedding event where demand will outstrip generation so they're uh saying we need to move away from that because uh, you know it doesn't tell you all events are equal in what's called lolp um it doesn't tell you if it's going to be a huge event or small event. So they're recommending mm-hmm. uh, the council adopt four metrics, uh, the loss of load event, which may the frequency of events, and then uh, duration value at risk, which measures duration of outages or not outages necessarily, but uh, these capacity shortfall events, and then peak value at risk and energy mm-hmm. value at risk, which measure the magnitudes of these events. And it really is, they're just much more nuanced metrics yeah. to give greater insight into the kind of issues that the grid is facing and allow entities and planners to come up with uh, solutions that are, really are more fi- fine tuned to address the issue so, and the risks nice. of the system.
0: It yeah. seems like a- uh, you can read more about that at our on our newsdata.com. Nice. So it looks like some more uh you know fine-tuning of that would always be good. What does it say? Not every shortfall is the same. That makes sense. Yeah, exactly. All right. Yep. So this will be moving forward and this just has to go to the council itself and get approved. Is that how it works? Uh
1: well so they're they're doing they're really working with the local or the regional industry and uh to fine tune and, and kind of Okay, what what are the thresholds that we should set and and really dig down into other aspects of this? They're going to come up with a recommendation to the council by mid-2025 as to what the metrics should be in the next power plant. I see. Which will be um, 2027, I believe, when they will publish ah. that. So. Okay. Good coverage, huh? Yeah, thank you it was an interesting story to write up yeah so uh speaking of regions yeah what's going Mm -hmm. on with the regionalization bill that uh you said it it died but there's some effort there there might be a second life for it actually now at this point there's like the (laughs) 10th run of regionalization third
0: or fourth yeah um AB 538 from assemblyman Chris Holden would regionalize the California independent system operator into a regional transmission organization and covering this for a while back in 2018, when the previous bill died somewhat dominated by SP 100 that time around this time. um, Yeah. What's the opposition is coming from labor unions. They want the jobs to stay in California, the power construction jobs, uh, unions having good Deal of political power in California, but put the kibosh on this one for now. However, Scott Miller from the Western Power Trading Forum, who uh, Steve Ernst interviewed here, said, quote, the fact that the bill is stalled is not a death knell. He said the governor's leaning into this and there's a trailer bill that could be used in the Senate as well as amended to an amendment to a budget bill later on. It'd have to be out of appropriations by May. Uh, Yeah, very soon. (laughs) Um, so I guess still in play, but we'll see, uh, how this could play out. Um, this keeps happening, you know, and then, uh, you have other efforts going on and, you know, um, as California sort of flounders in this area, uh, there's the Southwest power pools markets plus initiative, which also is calling for RTO formation and moving uh, forward very quickly. And this is something that you've covered extent extensively is how this is playing out sort of these two competing efforts yeah it has been an
1: interesting story to cover the the, that competition uh and Mm -hmm. yeah this bill really addresses one of the key stumbling blocks for kaiso expanding behind beyond the state's borders is you know uh, states outside don't want the entities outside california don't want to be beholden to an uh an entity that's a. Pointed by where that's really yeah controlled by the
0: governor's office yeah fear and loathing on that one for sure and and california likewise wants to keep control over energy planning with you know an overall mission of decarbonizing not just california but the west the cpuc president said those very words when i was in san diego last week and so yeah more another fizzle here but um could go either way it's uh it's a tough one it can't seem to get this thing through and it's been many yeah, efforts i i'm sure we'll
1: be covering more in the future <laughs> well it up is. in uh, oregon we've got rye development is looking at three sites for pumped storage hydroelectric projects in uh, southern oregon that could manage a gigawatt of offshore wind they're hoping to develop and so they recently asked FERC uh, for approval uh, to to give them preliminary permits to uh, which would allow them to study the two projects they're proposing near the coast of curry county and so their hope is that putting in pump storage will really address some of the transmission bottleneck issues uh, facing the development of offshore wind off the uh, oregon coast and you yeah. know, this is a huge potential resource that could, that has a, a really high um, capacity factor that's really consistent. Uh, so, you know, B, sure. it's renewable, but it uh, would uh, provide some much, you know, it's not as intermittent as other renewables. Of course, it's always subject to that to some degree, but uh, it's sure. you
0: know, more steady production. And we're looking uh, at a goal yeah. of a gigawatt of offshore wind off Oregon. Or uh, that's yeah, like well, gigawatt. so the
1: Oregon legislature, yeah three gigawatts. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, uh, promise there. It's a little trickier. It's uh, deep water as opposed mm-hmm. to the shallower continental shelf off the East Coast. Yep. But uh, developers are confident they can they can get there.
0: Yeah, and you've got port improvements that need to happen. There's some wildlife issues. There's the fishing industry, but uh, it's like they're moving forward here and uh, taking a look at that transmission too, which is important. Yeah. So uh,
1: going back to KISO, you had some changes to the day ahead market down there.
0: Yeah, this was a day ahead market enhancements, which was approved by the EIM governing body and the ISO board of governors. On May 17th, I have to apologize. I got the date wrong in my story. I said May 18th, but I was traveling and didn't, was not able to listen to the meeting live, but we're running a correction, getting that fixed. But this is a four-year process, um, obviously an extensive process. It's meant to address net load forecast uncertainty between the day ahead and real-time markets, as well as system ramping needs. Um, And Uh, it's designed to reduce out-of-market actions that we're increasingly seeing to maintain reliability um yep uh we have um Anna McKenna here who's Kaiser's Vice President of Market policy and performance saying quote the increasing prevalence of variable energy resources critical to meeting renewable energy greenhouse gas emissions reduction goals has introduced additional uncertainty and variability the unpredictability of these energy imbalances creates challenging system conditions which drive out of market actions. This uh, will go to FERC now, Federal Energy Reg- Regulatory Commission. Also, kiso approved its $7.3 billion transmission plan, which is slightly reduced from the previous 9 billion proposal. So uh, pretty, pretty big numbers there for transmission, 45 projects. They reduced it by one project from an earlier plan. Most transmission projects will be developed in California. Also, the day ahead market enhancements, when the day ahead market is expanded, known as the extended day ahead market, these changes will also apply to the wider EDAM, as we call it, because we love acronyms. We do. Yeah
1: well yeah 7.3 billion yeah those are some big numbers Uh but uh going back up to the northwest got a little update here on the lower snake river dam and hydroelectric generation up here uh, it really bringing this up uh it, and it's a very uh you know, provincial story really only of interest to folks who are focused on the hydroelectric system in the northwest but i, I bring it up uh, kind of tagging on to the story that we recently had on sea lion uh sea lions eating all of the fish in the columbia yeah Uh, and just wildlife mitigation and uh, fish recovery is a huge issue that really affects the hydropower system up in the northwest so things like gas bubble trauma in non-salmonid non-salmonid fish Mm -hmm. in the lower snake river dam is really important to generation in the northwest Wow. Yeah of, of course obviously right <laughs> Anyway so the uh US Army Corps of Engineers which manages the Lower Snake River dams had uh recently had to reduce the spill uh to try to reduce the amount of gas bubble trauma that was being caused in non-salmonid fish in the Lower Snake River so they were able to then you know, the the situation was uh, improved enough that they were able to resume high spill levels at uh, three Lower Snake River dams a few days ago, and you know, again I, I just bring this up to kind of drive home the point that of how complex management of the Northwest hydropower system is, yeah. which is a you know, for listeners outside the Northwest this is a, a huge deal. Uh, the hydro system up here provides you know, something definitely over half I forget the exact mm-hmm. percentage if it's 55 percent or 65 percent, um, but a huge percent of the regional capacity it is a very reliable source of generation uh, sure. that you know functions seasonal in in uh, the winter and summer as kind of the backbone of the power grid up here and the Northwest hydropower system it it is I believe 30% of the nation's hydropower capacity that's uh, according to the US Energy Information Administration. Wow, that is massive. Yeah, I know, right? Uh it's it's really a blessing up here for the grid, mm-hmm. makes things like decarbonizing uh, a lot easier. But it is it, the fish mitigation issues and fish recovery issues really complicate management of of the system you can't just run it for generation but you really got to balance all these things and you know to just kind of give some idea of how serious the recovery issues are uh in 1941 Bonneville power administration hired Woody Guthrie to write songs basically advertising and and to create public support for the BPA projects and uh, there's a song, Jackhammer John, where he, you know, an ode to the workers building these dams. And he he meant, mentions says some of the lyrics here. I hammered on the river from sun to sun. Fifteen million salmon run, Lord, Lord. Hmm. Well, I got those jackhammer blues. So, wow. uh, it, so it estimates, and the, you know, the estimates are that the Columbia River Basin once supported these salmon runs of millions and millions of fish. Uh, but yeah. now in 2019, this is from a story I wrote back in 2019. Mm-hmm. I just pulled it up. Uh, about six thousand, six hundred thousand salmon and steelhead were counted going through the the dams. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. big at, difference.
1: And between 1980 and when this story, when I wrote the <sighs> story in, in 2019, 2020, 2020, BPA uh, had spent more than 17.7 billion on fish. Uh, recovery and wildlife mitigation and about um yeah it that half that sum is from how con- conservation requirements have constrained hydropower operations uh so you're know, kind of spending it uh, in terms of giving up revenue from operations mm-hmm. by prioritizing uh, this mitigation and recovery issues so these are you know yeah. gas bubble trauma mm
0: is a big issue we've, we've all had that <laughs> well yeah uh just giant infrastructure here and how to keep the wildlife functioning and the ecosystems functioning is a, a big ones so why were you right about salmon so much here
1: yeah yeah. Uh, yeah it really can't be uh you can't talk about northwest the northwest power grid without talking about salmon
0: and, and other fish yeah have i ever told you my salmon joke? Oh, no, you haven't, but I'm dying to hear it. Now. Yeah. Knock, knock. Who's there? Salmon. Salmon, who? Salmon chanted evening. There you go. You got a little vocal. Uh, that's vocal. Jason, that's terrible. That, that is
1: terrible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we just hey. lost half of our, our audience.
0: <laughs> you can cut it if you want, but hey, it's a dad no, that's, joke.
1: That's in there. That's 100% there in there. I like to burst myself. It, it is enshrined for.
0: All yeah, you know, perpetuity. You can also catch me at local karaoke if, <laughs> if if that strikes your fancy. I I hope at least one person
1: goes and shows up and is like, I'm here because of <laughs> Energy West weekly wrap up. That would really freak me out. But yeah. Well, I I think Jason Fordney karaoke hour is definitely has to be a future podcast. Okay. But until that until that time folks. That's all from me, Dan Catchpole. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you listen and pass it along to a friend. Energy West is edited and produced by our colleagues at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucky Sound Studio. You can find me on Twitter, kind of there still, uh, at yeah. D catchpole And clearing up is
0: at cu newsdata That's the letter C and U, NewsData. You can also check out California Energy Markets on Twitter at CEM Newsdata. That's the letter C-E-M Newsdata. I'm also on Twitter at Fordney Energy, where fortunately you will not hear me singing. But thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you back here next week.